Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. And to achieve that vision, our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania and to explore their solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Words to live by. We have an exciting show planned for you today, and like all episodes of The Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we have an email-in format. You can contact us at contact at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and we'll be happy to let you know in advance when when we'll be responding to your questions so you'll know when to tune in, because you are an integral part of every episode. Today we have a whole bunch of new questions for part one. Questions about the road, the environment, a lot more. After that, part two is all about them. Each each episode we host a guest and our them today to help showcase the political challenges facing Pennsylvania. We have Gary St. Fleur, a recent libertarian candidate for mayor of Scranton. And he'll be talking all about financial things in Pennsylvania and Scranton and going around the world. After Gary comes part three, my favorite part of the Pennsylvania Project, my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and I'll be focusing on one particular issue that sticks in my craw. And today's issue, traffic laws. So let's get right to the mailbag. And remember that our mission here is not just to complain, but also to explore solutions. So Paul, what do we have? All right, Ken, let's start off with an easy one from Chris Jones in Marietta, Pennsylvania. Chris asks... What would be the best course to take in having marijuana decriminalized or legalized by Harrisburg? Oh, that's a good question. That's something that when I was running for governor of Pennsylvania in 2018 that came up quite a lot. And the governor has the power to end this insane war on drugs. And one thing I was promising to do that on my first day in office, one of the first things I was going to do is to issue pardons for all nonviolent drug offenders. We shouldn't have pot smokers in prison. Pot smokers don't belong in prison. Pot is a a very harmless drug, and more and more states are finally waking up to that. And the governor has that power to end that insane war on drugs overnight. Now, there are different aspects to it. How do we control that? Well, obviously we shouldn't, except for one important thing. we got to watch out for the children. So the same laws that apply for giving alcohol to kids would apply for really any, any drug, whether it's marijuana, aspirin, heroin, whatever it is. So if you were dealing drugs to kids or you robbed or stole, you wouldn't get a pardon. You'd stay safely in prison. But if you're just kicking back, smoking a joint, watching The Simpsons, you should have a get-out-of-jail-free card. And this is something the governor can do today. I don't understand why he doesn't. All right, next we have one from Joe from Roxborough. Joe says, uh, Ken, I am an avid outdoorsman and a staunch environmentalist. I've fished, hiked, and camped in just about every corner of Pennsylvania. (laughs) Me too. I have major concerns about protecting the wildlife in Pennsylvania and preserving our natural environments for future generations. While I like many libertarian ideas, I'm very skeptical of libertarian solutions to protecting the environment. My question to you is, how do you protect the environment without using the government? Well, right off the bat, Joe, I believe the government has a role to play. Because the purpose of government is to protect the rights and property of the citizens. And the environment is certainly part of the environment. The environment is certainly part of the property that we should be protecting for the citizens. 
It's even in the Pennsylvania Constitution, matter of fact. Article 1, Section 27 says that the Commonwealth is a trustee for all these lands. So the government does indeed have a role. But what should that role be? Right now, things are overregulated. There's some regulation we, we do need in order to protect the environment. But what I'd like to see is a fundamental shift in how we regulate that. Specifically, what I would like to see is that we treat it as a trespass. So if your junk is blowing, leaking, shining, or whatever onto my property, we, we can use all of the remedies currently available to, to treat trespassers on whoever these polluters are. That would mean court injunctions to order them to clean up their mess, make them pay for it, shut, shut them down, whatever it takes. Because right now, under the law, you are allowed to pollute so much. You can have like 0.002% of rat hair in your baloney. Well, rat hair's rat hair. I don't want it. That's all there is to it. In fact, it's gotten so bad, they actually allow you to tr trade, buy and sell the right to pollute. You shouldn't have the right to pollute. Give me a break. It's also another novel idea that I have. No, it's not about a book. It's a new idea. And that is a can't license. But you know, we're going to have a whole, sh whole show about can't licenses sometime in the future. So I'm going to leave that one right there. But the easy way to protect, protect the environment is to respect property rights. And the best way to protect property rights against a polluter is to treat pollution as a trespass. All right. Next question comes from Mark in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Ken, what is the potential to using the Department of Transportation to fix all the massive potholes in the roads in Pennsylvania? <laughs> oh, boy, that's something that's near and near to everybody's suspension. That's definitely true. Right now, the roads are paid for by the gas tax. And the gas tax is in the Constitution, too. It's back there in Article 9, as I recall. I could get it wrong. You know, it's interesting. My brother says that I quote from the Constitution like a Jehovah's Witness quotes from the Bible. And I have Jehovah's Witness relatives who agree with that statement. <laughs> but the gas tax is mentioned in the Constitution, but it also says that the gas tax has to be used exclusively for the maintenance of highways and bridges, maintenance and construction of highways and bridges. Well, it's so far from the truth in Pennsylvania, it's crazy. They use it for public transportation, for SEPTA, for Lanta, for, and I forget what the one is in Pittsburgh, but there's a, they're all over the state. They also use it for safety programs and different things like that. Last number I saw, it's a little less than half of the gas tax goes for the roads. So it's no surprise that we have all these potholes and everything like that. Something that was in the news not too long ago, the truckers brought a suit against the turnpike because the turnpike was taking some of their tax money and using it for things other than the turnpike. And there was a, a big brouhaha for a while because it looked like the turnpike was on the hook for about $7 billion. And if they were found guilty, then Turnpike was going to have to declare bankruptcy. And in my mind, that would have been a good thing because they would be selling it to a private investor and a private investor would be a little more conscientious about how they use our tax dollars. But the last I heard is that the truckers have lost that suit. It is in appeal. It's going to still be going up further and further up the line. And you know how it is with the, with the legal system. You roll the dice, and you roll them again, and you roll them again, and you roll them again, until who knows what's going to happen. But my point is, if we follow the Constitution, what the Constitution plainly says, then we would have more money to spend on bridges, on fixing the roads, and everything like that. And I just came through Philadelphia. I came up Lincoln Drive, I guess Cresham Valley Drive, just above Lincoln Drive, and it's cratered. I mean, really, really cratered. It's just crazy. So I think we should... Follow the Constitution, dedicate the tax money to where the Constitution says it should go. And we'd be able to lower the gas tax, too, I bet. 
All right, our next question comes from Joe in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. In episode one, you mentioned Toastmasters. <laughs> Ken, what is a Toastmaster, and why do you think it's so important? Good grief. Toastmasters. Toastmasters is an international organization, about 350,000 members, last I heard. Their mission is to provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and leadership skills. I am a product of Toastmasters. When I spoke in public, I used to get asthma attacks. I remember I went to see Larry Coughlin, my congressman. This is back in the 80s. I wanted to ask him about the space station because we didn't have it up then. And the Russians were getting ahead of us in space again. And I stood up, and it was a town meeting. There was only about 10, 15 people there. But I have with you my question. I couldn't breathe because I had this asthma attack. And my last words came out whispering. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. Afterwards, somebody from the audience, I wish I could remember the guy's name because he changed my life. He said, Ken, did you ever hear of Toastmasters? I said, no, what's that? And he told me. It's an organization, teach public speaking and leadership skills. He says, it sounds like I could use it because I was just so terrified. So I went to my first meeting, and Toastmasters is cool because there are about 13,000, 14,000 clubs around the globe. Uh, we're sitting here just outside of Philadelphia, and I know there are about 30 clubs within 10 miles of me. Some, are, some meet during the day, corporate clubs, some meet in the evening. But all the meetings are pretty much follow this, these follow pretty much the same pattern. The first half of the meetings are people giving speeches, some prepared, some impromptu. And the second half are evaluations of those speeches. So you get up there, you get practice, and also you get instant feedback where you can learn what, you've, what you're doing right and what you're doing, well, what you could be doing better. And you're never going to hear somebody say, oh, Ken, that speech sucked. No, no, no. It's going to be more like, Ken, that was, it was pretty good, but it would have been more effective if you hadn't fainted in the middle of it. Toastmasters are very supportive. They're very welcoming. If you go to toastmasters.org, you'll be able to find a Toastmasters club near you. And if you're in the eastern half of Pennsylvania, I guess York, Harrisburg, anywhere east of there, or in New Jersey, mention my name, and they'll throw you out. No, no, they know me because I'm a, I'm a big fish in a little pond in Toastmasters. In fact, we're going to be doing a commercial for Toastmasters later on in, the, in this show. So Toastmasters, I, I highly recommend it. Completely changed my life because I used to be a geek hiding behind a keyboard. As I said, I get asthma attacks if I tried to, tried to speak. But now I'm a high-paid business architect. I deal routinely with C-level people. And as governor, as the candidate for governor of Pennsylvania, I have debated Tom, Tom Ridge, Ed Rendell, all sorts of high-powered people. If I hadn't gone through Toastmasters, I would never have the courage to do that. And look at me now. I got my own radio show. All right. And our last question was sent to us anonymously. What bills currently being circulated through the Pennsylvania House and Senate do you believe should be passed? Good grief. There are so many of them. Where, where to begin? The Voters' Choice Act, the whatever it may be. Tell you what, let's, let's start with House Bill, what's the number, 785. I think it's 785. It was introduced by Representative Kate Clunk from York County in response to a Supreme Court decision that was held last year, or was handed down last year. Court ruled that public employees cannot be compelled to pay money to a union as a condition of employment. Well, as a libertarian, I, I applaud that because people should have the right to decide where their own money is going. They shouldn't be forced to pay for something, especially if they don't agree with the, what the union is doing. Because we know these unions can get very, very political. And 
obviously they're not going to represent everybody. Some people are going to think other things. And I'm thinking of our executive producer, Mark, who, who's a member of the union here, and I, I've heard him say that sometimes they're, they're doing things that he wouldn't want them to do. But what House Bill 785 did, it's, it, it noted that most public employers are not aware of the rights that the Supreme Court decision gave to them because the court ruled that public employees can't be compelled to pay money, but they don't know it. And those who are aware, they keep running into trouble, trouble with the unions, trouble with the courts, wherever it may be. And the purpose of the, of the bill is to, first of all, get rid of that law, make sure it's taken off the books, ruled unconstitutional, unconstitutional I can talk, and requires that all public employees are notified of their rights related to that Supreme Court decision. Right now, last number I heard is there are 11 lawsuits across the state, most of them brought by the Fairness Center in Harrisburg. Uh, they're a group that represents public employees for free whenever they're hurt by the unions or any kind of a public official. So this bill, this, this is a no-brainer. It's actually enforcing the law. It's a law to enforce the law. How about that, right? To let the public employees know that they can't be compelled to pay money. It, it increases liberty, increases, increases financial liberty. It helps our teachers, our nurses, all the public employees. So right down the line, it looks pretty good. So that's one of the ones that I would do. And I think that's probably all we got time for today. So tell you what, that should do it right now for the you portion of the show. If you'd like to get your question, observation, solution, whatever, drop us a line. Visit our website at PennsylvaniaProject.com or send us an email at contact at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And that'll do it. So we're going to take a break now. We'll be right back after this information. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Do you need a state inspection, emissions testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension work, or routine factory scheduled maintenance? For all your automotive service needs, visit Wallace Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Wallace Auto even has a Phillips 66 gas station where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wallace Auto online at wallaceautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years, Wallace Auto Service has been proud to serve the Bryn Mawr, Haverford area. Stop in, say hello, and fill up your tank at Wallace's great low prices. That's Wallace Auto Service and Phillips 66 Gas Station at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Or give them a call at 610-658-9000. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? 
Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Back to you, Ken. Thank you very much, Paul. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 2 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we showcase one of our guests, and today's guest is somebody I've known for several years now, Gary St. Fleur. Gary is originally from New York City, resident of Scranton now, and he was the Libertarian Party candidate for mayor of Pennsylvania just recently. He's the founder of Safe Scranton, and he recently won a landmark tax case against Scranton because they were using Act 511 to raise taxes beyond the legal limit. I'll talk more about 511 in a minute. But you successfully stopped that tax increase. What a credential for a libertarian. Well done, (laughs) sir. He also writes for the Value Walk website, one that I already knew about because I pay attention to the financial stuff. And not only that, this guy's famous. He, He was showcased in Bond Buyer Magazine, the number one bond magazine in the country. So this guy, he, man, oh man, you're you're more famous than most people I've ever met. Wow, thank you. So welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Where do we start? I guess, where, well, you tell me. You're the guest, I, where would you like I to start? I don't know, like, um, I guess we start with Scranton. Um, Sounds good. Scranton, population of roughly, I want to say 70 or 80,000 people. Two thirds are living with fixed income. So like you're very elderly population. A lot of poverty there, um, a lot mm-hmm. of taxes. Property values have decreased precipitously. The population at one time was, was 150,000, but has since declined. And my position is that the number one issue facing the city in terms of blocking economic progress is city council or government. Hmm. Now, Isn't it always that way? It, it, it tends to be, right? Um, the city has extremes amount of taxes, like high taxes, not, not to mention a lot of questionable things go on. For instance... Roughly 54% of the police union retirees are on disability. Half your cops are on disability? Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> and now 58% of the fire department retirements are on disability. <laughs> Is it a dangerous town to live in? Absolutely not, right? So the, the, it's already well known and it's been written in a local paper that this is a, this is a scam, that they purposely file for disability when they turn over 30 and then they go work at the county in the um, prisons. Well, well, if it's a scam that's been reported, how can they keep this up? That's an amazing question. Like I've been <laughs> doing research in, in terms of the city's underfunded pension, its actions such as this, and wondering why isn't you know federal indictments falling in, or why aren't arrests made, or anything like that. Recently, there were there was a um, raid by the FBI in city council and the mayor's house. Really? Yes, yes. What were they looking for? That's a good question. You know how the FBI goes. They don't yeah, They don't let right. you know what they, but but the, the reality is when the FBI does sh- show up, you can rest assured <laughs> that they already know what's going on uh-huh. and they're probably waiting for them to make their move. The, but, the F here stands for fire because where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. So I mean, I can, I can point to them to, to tons of things that's going on in Scranton that they can look into. And I have um, sent information to FBI. Wow. Already. So, 
Incredible. Now, that. did this come up during your your mayor race, or is this recent? This the, the raid I think happened around I want to say January. January what year? This year, uh-huh. 2019. Yeah. So. So the, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Now. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I again, um, it, it, it's it's mind boggling. Like when you hear about the statistics about the police. Um, retirees on disability. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it should be alarming. It, it, it's both the highest in the state. So the the police and the fire department in Scranton had the highest amount of retired disability in the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh man! Now, what's the odds that one city would have both the highest? Right? Like, come on. Well, it sounds like they're heading for bankruptcy. Absolutely, absolutely. I've been advocating for bankruptcy since 2016. What, what do you mean advocating for bankruptcy? I, I believe that when when you look at the the city's budget, right, and you know that 80 percent of the revenue. Eighty percent of the budget is spent on salaries and the pension. You know that leaves mm-hmm. less amount of money for government services, and so the people are paying into basically a sinking hole or a black hole, as it were. When you take out and when you take all the costs that the the, the residents of Scranton have to be responsible for, we're talking about unfunded pension liabilities, bonds that they've been borrowing to pay for their costs. It it, it towers upwards of a billion. Uh-huh. So for Elderly, elderly population who are living in fixed income. The fixed, average fixed income is about fifteen thousand dollars a year. Uh huh. There's no money to pay for these things. Man, you know, I'm sitting here and and I feel like Irv Homer. I just want to say it boggles the mind. It, it does because and, and it's and it's not just you know Scranton or Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a national issue when it comes to like the pensions and the unfunded pension liabilities. Um, a current report from the American Legislative Economic Council, um, entitled unaffordable and unaccountable says that the current state, you know, pension uh, unfunded liabilities for the nation, you know, all the states put together, it's upwards of $6 trillion. Mm -hmm. So that's $6 trillion that we're going to have to somehow pay for. $6 trillion? $6 trillion. And what's Pennsylvania's share of that? Pennsylvania's share, I believe, is $74 billion. That's roughly 16000 per capita. So each citizen is responsible for paying 16000 So you're saying my two grandkids already owe $32,000. That's correct. And the, fortunately, the one who lives in Seattle doesn't have to pay that. Well, he has to pay his share, whatever Seattle owes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming that they do owe something. And the, the reason why these things happen is because pensions were structured in a way that were not sustainable. You know, they defend... Yeah, ahead. well, let me ask you about that. Yeah. Because you said 80% of the budget is going to pension and the salaries. Absolutely. Now, I know that the school districts, that's a typical number, yeah. about 80%. Because sure. whenever I say, oh, cut the taxes, I say, well, we can't. 78% of our budget goes for salaries, and we can't do that because sure. it's collective bargain away or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. So is that a standard number for city governments, too? I, I don't I, know. I, I wouldn't know. I, I assume, but I'll make an assumption. But if you use... Because a lot of city governments seem to be reflective of the same situations happening in Scranton because they all have underfunded pensions and underfunded pension liabilities. So what happens is that when your pensions, because they are, these are contracts and obligations, so they have to pay them. So when they become underfunded, these shortfalls have to still be made. Mm-hmm. Then you have roles of employees retiring every year and you have to pay for their retirement. Mm-hmm. So in certain situations, you have more retirees and actively working <laughs> personnel. It's like social security. It's yeah. turning upside yeah. down. Yeah, so imagine that, that you're paying, your budget that's supposed to go to current workers who are providing current services mm-hmm. are going to retire retirees. Yeah, certainly you have to take into account the retirees. Now, this whole crisis, pension crisis, came up during the governor's race in 2018 when I was running. Okay. And people say, Ken, how are you going to solve it? 
<laughs> solve it. What do you mean solve it? I always go back to my touchstone, which is the Pennsylvania Constitution. It's my okay. it's my job description. And okay. if you if you look toward the back, and I'm not going to remember the chapter and verse. My brother's going to yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> But it says in there that the Commonwealth shall not invest in stocks and bonds of companies. Interesting. Well, this pension crisis began way back, geez, I guess it was in 2000, 2001. Because when I ran for governor in 2002, it was, it, 2018 was my third run for governor. Second one was in 2002. And then it was a crisis that came up. But the reason why it started as a crisis is because the value of the pension fund plummeted. Because there was a plummet in the stock market. You remember the dot-com bubble burst sure. and everything? And everything just like crashed. So all of a sudden the teachers are just like, what happened to our pension? It's like, well, it says here in the Constitution, you should not be investing that in co- private companies. You broke the law. And I've had lawyers tell me, oh, no, it's not the Commonwealth. It's the school district that did it. I was like, wait a minute. Ah, this, isn't the school district part of the Commonwealth? It's... It's, and it's in the Constitution, too, that we've got school districts and it authorizes them to pay taxes. And they say, well, yeah, but the pension fund is private. I say, oh. Interesting. So if the pension fund is private, then we taxpayers are not on the hook for it. Well, that's, that's one of the questions that I've always had about the whole pension situation, right? It's like, how do you make an agreement that the taxpayers are going to pay for something when they have no part or no say in it? You know, well, we, we claim to have a democracy, uh-huh. right? Like, you know, public participation. Uh, pension without representation. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like, you're, you're doing behind-the-door closed meetings. Uh-huh. You're agreeing to a certain investment rate. And there are also abuses that happen, like something called spiking, where they work um, more than last oh, yeah. year. yeah. And that's used as pegged as a rate for their retirement. That's right. I, right? S- I used to work for the Navy down the Navy base. I've, I've seen it all the time. Yeah, and so and now it's like now the money is gone. You know, um, new union members are, aren't going to get their retirement. And the people are being looked to to bail out this failing system. It's, mm-hmm. it's failed. It's gone. So in terms of fixing it, <laughs> you, like it's like trying to, you know, fix a amputated leg in a sense. You know, it's already gone. Well, th- that's that's a real good analogy because people were asking me, Ken, how are you going to solve the crisis? I said, Well, now we know how it happened. It happened because people were breaking the law, and now they're giving me, you know, lawyer double talk to saying, Oh, it's it's not their fault. It's you know, it's the fault of now. It's the fault of us, my grandchildren, you and me, and all the rest of us here in Pennsylvania. So what I said is, we should do with the pension, whatever it is that we would do with private private organization. Oh, we we know what do, what they would do in private organizations. Yeah, they'll, we should declare, write it off, declare bankruptcy. Write it off. That's right. <laughs> they'll just That's say, right. listen, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. Now there is money there. What we should do is recapitalize the pension and say, all right. They made these exorbitant promises. They broke the law and they squandered away your funds, just like Bernie Madoff and everything. Sure. And now here's what we can do for you. Because our teachers, especially our teachers, they deserve what we can get them. But if it's going to be not everything that they need, then what we could do is have fundraisers. Gary, would you contribute for your teacher's retirement fund if they had a big fundraiser going on? Which teacher? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I had a couple of great teachers. There, there are teachers that I would do that for, yeah, of course. Um, and so would regular people. Absolutely. And the thing is that um, I'm, I'm always told, I'm, when I'm told this situation, you know, people's response is that they were promised. They were made these promises. And um, I understand that. You know, I, I do empathize with that situation. Mm-hmm. But the numbers are the numbers. It's like, do you want to rob your grandchildren 
or your children in order to pay for your retirement. And, and, and the thing is that I would wish that there were laws that if the pension fund manager or the politicians who are making these decisions, if they break the law, that they suffer penalties. But it's not there. So now the situation is this is where we are now. We're here. What do we do going forward? If we do the same thing, it's only going to get worse. Because mm-hmm. what happens is that they make even riskier investments to try to play catch up. And that's, again, it's going to just make the explosion happen even quicker. Yeah, unless they get lucky. But you don't want to count well, on luck. Well, well, the thing about the economy is that the economy's had a, had a 10-year bull run, right? Mm-hmm. And despite the 10-year bull run, the pensions are still doing poorly. So what we're going to probably face going forward is a slow a economy that's slowing down. That's that's a shame, especially these days. Good grief. You know, it's probably a good place to, to take a break. because So my guest today, Gary St. Fleur, former Libertarian candidate for mayor of Scranton. That's correct. The man showcasing the number one bond magazine bond buyer in the country. And you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll be right back after this information. Hi, Ken Krawchuk here, caster of the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I'm a Toastmaster, and now I've got my own radio show. So turn your life around like I did. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact the club nearest you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. Toastmasters.org Are you arranging your finances in the most tax-efficient way possible? Call Freedom Financial Tax at 866-401-1090 today to find out. At Freedom Financial Tax, we use creative tax solutions like infinite banking to make sure you're keeping as much of your hard-earned money as possible. Let Freedom Financial Tax help you out with a comprehensive tax plan. Call Freedom Financial Tax now at 866-401-1090. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have a picture taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W E R L E Y. Dot com. Back to you, Ken. Thank you very much, Paul. Hey, <clears throat> excuse me, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back at the Pennsylvania Project, Episode 2, with our guest, Gary St. Fleur. Now, before the break, we were talking about all kinds of different things, about the poor pension crisis, the trouble Scranton's going through, the fact that my grandkids each owe $16,000 before they're even out of school. But one thing we also mentioned, we touched on briefly, is your tax case victory. That is correct. And I would like to get into a lot more detail about that. As would I. Oh, okay. Why don't you give us a 
you know, little rundown, big rundown, whatever it takes. Okay, okay. So the tax case <clears throat> that um, I won actually has yeah. to do with the Earned in- Income Act of 1965 called Act 511. Mm-hmm. Now, what the Act 511 statute states is that the amount of taxes a local government or municipality within the state of Pennsylvania can levy is capped at the value of the property of the entire municipality multiplied by, I believe, about two mills. Two mills is roughly 2%. Now, the city of Scranton have been passing this cap for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't even know it existed. But we brought the case against them, saying, stating that you know we looked through your numbers, we applied it to the cap, and you've been breaching it every year. And according mm-hmm. to the statute, they would have to lower their taxes to be within the cap, and any, any money that they paid in excess for the past two, two to three years would have to be paid back. Now, Gary, let me just jump in there sure. real quick. <clears throat> you had mentioned before the break that the property values in Scranton have been have been plummeting. Absolutely. Is that a factor in why the cap has been exceeded, or is this them raising taxes to the point where it just went over the top? Well, I, I believe it's both, right? And so what happens is that I believe that the legislators, when they came up with the statute, was in order to prevent this situation from happening because it's unconscionable. If you think about it, property values are declining. That means that the people are getting poor, that economic activity in this region is declining. Yep. So to raise taxes on these people on top of their poor economic performance would be unconscionable. And this is why the statute is designed the way it is. Mm. So I, so, Some people may say that raising taxes at all is unconscionable. I hear that, <laughs> right? But doubly so if you're not even making a lot of money you know, to boot. Mm-hmm. So we brought this case against the city. Um, I don't know what happened. The, the stars were aligned or whatever because the judge... Judge Gibbons, who presided over the case, agreed. <laughs> Not, um, it, it helped that during the time around, I believe it was 2017, there was a state Supreme Court case where, because what the city was arguing is that since they were a home charter, home rule charter, they didn't have to observe state tax statute. Uh-huh. There was a start, uh, sup- Oh, you yeah. know, and I've heard that in other places too. Sure. Is, um, it, is that true? Well, there was a Supreme Court case, right, that... Um, concluded in that summer in 2017 where Pittsburgh tried to bring up um, the same argument that they cannot they don't have to abide by state law and the Supreme State Supreme Court overruled that and said no you have to um, that state law is the ruling superior law huh. within the state of Pennsylvania you know, not meaning to derail you do you know if that's true generally speaking because I just heard of a local home rule which passed something which it, well it's Philadelphia and they have their own Election laws, their own caps. You can only spend, I believe, $3,000 for a city council race and something like that. Mm -hmm. But state law says there is no cap. But the Philadelphia, of course, is a home rule county. Well, Philadelphia. I'm wondering if that matters. Well, well, Philadelphia, I believe, is called a second class city or something. First first class, class, excuse me. Right. And so. In some people's opinions. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like Philadelphia. I was born there. Yeah. So there there might be some um, um, lassitude or or, or exclusion for these, for first class cities. Uh huh. But I'm not exactly sure. What you find with these situations is that a lot of times these places (laughs) pass laws and they're uncontested, and so they just go forward. Right. And it's not until they contested they realized that, no, they can't do that. <laughs> and that's the case with the Act 511. They thought that since they're a distressed city, they have something called the Act 47, which allows them to yep. raise certain taxes, that they don't have to abide by Act 511. And they tried to use that in their argument that Act 47 supersedes Act 511. But the problem is Act 47 refers to Act 511. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, right? And so the, we, we explained that to the judge. The judge has been very calm and patient. He basically said, tilled the city, get your you know, books in order because you look guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, what he basically said in the last, last um, ruling or last um, appearance is that the city now needs to prove that they haven't breached the cap. So he agrees that the cap exists. Uh-huh. He agrees that the city it's underneath the cap or subject to it. Uh-huh. And now the city has to prove that they did not break it. Now, we already know their numbers, both their <laughs> audited statements and their unaudited statements that they provide. Uh-huh. So there's no way that they're going to prove that they didn't. What they tried to do is claim that they tax on the different ordinances, that one taxes as Act 511, another taxes Act 47, another taxes the Home Rule Charter. And it's like, yeah, no one does that in the state of Pennsylvania. So you're the only city that taxes in this fashion. You're going to have a tough time trying to argue that. Uh-huh. Interesting. You know, you said earlier that the stars aligned and you won this case. I don't yes. think it was the stars aligning. You were just plain flat out right. Yeah, but you find that that's not enough sometimes, know, right? It's not I enough. Know. It's like you can have all the numbers, all the facts on your, on your side. And somehow when it comes to the government, things just move at this malaise and this uh-huh. myopic way that doesn't make any sense. Like okay. you see in the private sector, there's four more, you know, um, precision in terms of ruling, because I think that people react more for some for some reason in the private sector. Mm-hmm. And it's not just there. I'm thinking of we libertarians when we try and get on the ballot. The Constitution says all elections shall be equal. But when I ran for governor, I needed 5,000 signatures, but Mr. Wolf and Mr. Wagner, they only needed 2,000. We took that to court. Matter of fact, I've taken it to court three times. I've gone all the way to the Supreme Court because that number has been varying. And in 2006, it was... 67,000 signatures where they needed, for us, where they needed 2,000 for the two old parties. And the judge heard it, Judge Jones, out in Third Circuit Court. He says, oh, no, that's equal. <laughs> went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to hear this case. We'll let the lower court stand. So we had nobody on the ballot value. There were no third-party or independent candidates because it was such a ridiculous number. And, and that's the frustrating thing because people always complain about this duopoly that exists between the Republican and the Democrat Party and how we need more, you know, parties and more voices. Mm-hmm. And that would be great if it was allowed. You mm-hmm. know, so you make it so difficult for any competition in terms of, you know, political dissent. And that's the reason. That's part of the reason. That's right. They're afraid of the competition. And, and, the, and the people, I don't, again, this is, again, this is why I said the stars aligned because I know how it could have, could have gone. Uh-huh. We could have been right, but the judge, for whatever reason, says... Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know. For once the judge obeyed the law. Absolutely. And, and, and what's that judge's name again? Judge Gibbons. Thank I, you, I, judge I will Gibbons. never forget this guy. <laughs> and, and, and the beauty of this is that once this is concluded, it creates a precedent within the state of Pennsylvania. Very nice. So that means that anyone, and I probably will take this on the road and start bringing cases against other municipalities. Uh-huh. I already know Harrisburg and Ridding is on the crosshairs because they've already been breaching the cap. And huh. yeah, they, they, huh. they should be <laughs> have this case brought against them. Well, you know, and, and, and what it should do is force these municipalities to have a fiscal reckoning to deal with their budget. Mm-hmm. I would agree. You know, it sounds like we should probably have you back in a couple of months to find out how your travels are going in <laughs> okay. Harrisburg and all the others. Well, it's going to be fun. <laughs> but, okay, but we're we're shifting off the point. I'm going to come back sure. to Act Five Eleven. Okay, and. What was the, what, in the end, what, they showed up with their books? Well, um, so we saw, what well, we met sometime last year, I want to say fall, right? And the judge just gave them, we're trying to hear their arguments, right? Mm-hmm. And the judge already concluded that 
they are under the act. The act does stipulate there's a cap. Uh-huh. He gave them till December of last year to provide numbers. Okay. And to actually prove that they did not breach the cap. Did they? Well, we're, we're waiting. Well, my, my lawyer, we received this information. <laughs> December of what year? Last year. Last oh, year, man. right? And so, yeah, another thing. Like, this, 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 this case has been going on for at least two years, right? Uh-huh. So I think it should conclude quickly. But I understand it's a very sensitive situation because <laughs> once he drops the gavel and he concludes that the city did breach the gap. They're going to have to pay it back? Yes. Oh, man. The, the, and they don't have the yeah. money to start with. No. Not only do they have to pay it back, right? Anything, they, again, the law states that. If they, for the past two or three years, whatever they collected in, in excess, they have to pay it back. Oh, and and yeah. they will have to lower taxes Uh-oh. to be within the cap. So whatever revenues they were hoping to get, they no longer can count on. <laughs> I shouldn't and then, laugh. And the revenues they do have, they're going to have to pay it back. So they are not in a good situation. What, yeah. what are they going to do? Do you, do you have any inkling? Well, my, they, they've been already threatening. They, they said that I'm the bad guy, we're the bad guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. How dare you away the law? Because they're going to have to have to raise property taxes. right? That's what they said. They said they're going to have to make up the shortfall anyway. And I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. How about those people who are on disability, who we know who are working in the county, are no longer on disability? How about that? How about you find ways to cut costs? How about you do what every American does every day? That's right. Which looks into their budget and make decisions. Tighten your belt. Yes, yeah, yeah. so do the same thing. You know, not everyone can hope on just this bailout and, and like getting money just because you demand it. Like, uh-huh. you know, you, yeah, come on. <laughs> well, you know, th- th- this whole subject is near and dear to my heart because I, I too challenged Act 511. And really? Yes. And really? I too won, but it was not the kind of victory that you're winning. I say, okay. It, mine was a personal victory and not a, a global victory because my township decided that I should be paying their tax. And I went to the law library. And by the way, everybody should know how to use a law library. It's not that difficult to understand the law because it's, it's got to be simple. Lawyers can understand it, right? So I just looked up the law, and it says right there, right up front, it says Act 511 of 1965, Local Tax Enabling Act, Senate Bill 400. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. I have right here my Constitution, and it says, quote, unquote, all bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives. Interesting. It's a Senate bill, taxing bill, bill for raising revenue. It's illegal. It's void ab initio to use lawyer speak. Well, I went into district justice with these arguments, and the township came in saying, he owes the tax, he lives in the township. And I notified the attorney general that I was going to try and have the law found unconstitutional, everything up and down the line, had all the paperwork in order and everything like that, submitted it, and I wasn't privy to what the township said or did. Obviously, they do these things in executive session. But after I filed my paperwork at the Court of Common Pleas, they had 30 days to respond, Mm -hmm. and the days ticked by one after the other. 30 days came, 30 days went. I was so mad. I won by default. I, I was in a position to find that law unconstitutional. Just like everybody who's listening right now in Pennsylvania is in the same position to find that law unconstitutional. Go get a copy. Go to your law library. Get a copy of Act 511 of 1965 and look right up front where it says Senate Bill 400. I did something. The courts probably took that home and laughed about it. I actually appealed my victory. Because I wanted, I wanted to overturn this law. All these nuisance taxes, this one like you're 
you fought up there in Scranton, the one that authorizes the earned income taxes. Yeah. I, all of those will be found void overnight. But they wound up. They wound up saying, we're not going to fight this. I was so mad. But that was a while ago, and everything's been quiet ever since. Well, so if anybody has an opportunity, I hope that they do it. So do I. <laughs> I guess that's a, a good point to end it on, a little tax freedom for everybody. This is going to wrap it up for this portion of the show. I'd like to thank again my guest, Gary St. Fleur. Gary, it has been a blast. Glad to be here. Time went quickly. Thanks for appearing on the Pennsylvania Definitely. Project. We're going to pause in a moment for some information, and when we return, we're going to be hearing me ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, traffic laws. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast to the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice? Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 2678-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Back to you, Ken. Thank you very much, Paul. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the ranting portion of Episode 2 of The Pennsylvania Project, where I go on and on about what sticks in my craw. You know what really sticks in my craw? Traffic laws. Because when it comes to traffic laws, there's an elephant in the room. Let me ask, what do you think of the police? No, no, I'm not talking about the rock band. I'm talking about our ladies and boys in blue. Does the sight of them in your rearview mirror set your heart thumping? And should he turn on his lights? Does your heart stop? And isn't it ironic how those lights are red, white, and blue? But, but I digress. And when you, when you roll down your window, do you find yourself shaking with fear? Why? The police are sworn to protect us. Why should we be afraid of our own protectors? Well, let me ask a few questions. Set a little light on this. How many of us come to a complete stop at every stop sign? Not me. How many of you always obey the speed limit? <laughs> Not me. Do I see another elephant here in the room? You know, several hundred years ago, the founding fathers bestowed upon us and our posterity a constitutional republic. Self-rule. What a power. But how have we used that power? We told the police to give us a ticket when we roll a stop sign. We told the police to give us a ticket when we drive safely at the same speed of other traffic. Why? Why have we criminalized our own routine behavior? But more importantly, what are we going to do about it? Nothing? 
keep the status quo and give our hearts an occasional stress test? Maybe we can find some wisdom in that old joke where the patient says, Doctor, it hurts whenever I do this. And the doctor replies, well, don't do that. <laughs> Let me guess what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, oh, come on, Ken. Are you suggesting we throw away all the stop signs and get rid of all the speed limit signs? Well, yeah, kind of. Although replace might be a better word. Because I'm not advocating automotive anarchy. Because there is a way of turning our frightening protector back into our frightening prosecutor back into our friendly protector. And bringing back some respect for the law, I might add. Ready? Step one, replace every stop sign with a yield sign. We all know how yield signs work. You wait if there's a car or pedestrian in the way, or slow down and roll it if the way is clear. Isn't that how virtually everybody treats a stop sign now? Why don't we align the law with our routine behavior? It's insane why we don't do that. I would, however, keep one kind of stop sign, the stop signs around schools. But I would have a new kind of stop sign. You know the one, the school crossing sign that's shaped like a little house? I'd take one of those and make it red and have it say, must stop. And if you roll it, you deserve a ticket. Do it for the children, as Hillary would say. And if you don't think replacing stop signs with yield signs sounds like a good idea, just pay your ticket, will you? So much for stop signs. Step two, speed limits. You know, every morning I drive up Interstate 95 going up to Princeton. It's 295 now. They changed the number. But you know how fast traffic moves? 75, 80. We just all cruise along and everything's fine, except when there's a cop sitting in the median up by Yardley. Then everybody slows down to 55, goes past. But as soon as we get past that elephant, it's back up to 75, 80. Well, it's obvious that people have voted with their feet what the speed limits are, what the proper speed limit is for Interstate 295 there. So what do we do? We put more cops out there, make people slow down all the time? No, 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 no. I have a modest proposal. I just want to change one word on the speed limit sign. Instead of saying speed limit 55 or speed limit 45 or whatever, have it say safe speed 55, safe speed 45. And set it up so people have a 20, 30% buffer around that number because that's what we're doing now. Do it for expressways, do it for highways, parking lots, or whatever. Change it from speed limit to safe speed. And if you happen to be caught in an accident when you're exceeding the safe speed limit, well, obviously you're driving unsafe, unsafely and you would be at fault. Think of what that would do. We in Pennsylvania, we would know that we're allowed to do it. It wouldn't change our behavior. It would just get the cops off our back. We're not going to be getting tickets for getting five miles an hour, three miles an hour over the speed limit. But look at the other side. If we have that 20, 30% buffer, you could get a ticket for driving too slow. How many idiots have been behind on the expressways? Sticks in my craw, believe me. So there you have it. Two simple steps to change the police from prosecutor to protector. A new sort of stop sign, called a yield sign, and a new sort of speed limit sign, a safe speed sign. The results would be no more elephants or the mess they leave behind, just friendlier roads, friendlier police, and a lot less stress on our hearts. But how can this happen? This is the Pennsylvania Project. We're, we're solution-oriented people. 
It's one thing to identify a problem. That's always the first step to coming up with a, with a solution. But who bells that cat? Or more properly, who bells that elephant? Going back to the founding fathers, they gave us self-rule, remember? That means you have to do it yourself. But how? Where do you begin? Tip O'Neill, former secretary of the Speaker of the House, once famously noted that all politics is local. So if you or I are going to make that change happen, the change has to start locally, like Gary St. Fleur did up in Scranton. You have to start in your own local town. Did you know that every town, city, borough in the state holds public meetings, typically once a month? And there's a public comment period. There is your chance. Call your town. Find out when they hold their meetings. Go to the meeting. Speak out. Tell them you're not a criminal. Your, your behavior shouldn't be criminalized. And, how, and they want, you want them to decriminalize everybody's routine behavior. You're going to have to remember the mantra of the grassroots activists. It's easy to remember. Ten words of two letters each. If it is to be... It is up to me. And if you choose to do nothing, just pay your ticket. There's a lot more to the traffic laws that I would like to see changed. Many different pieces. But they're all chunks for future future ones. But let me give you a, just a quick review because I see I still have a few minutes left. One of them would be the driver's license laws. Right now... Nobody can drive without a driver's license. Got to do it. But it's the state. You're asking permission from the state in order to do something. They're treating you pretty much like you've been convicted of something. Now you've got to come to them and ask them for their, for their permission. But, you know, we can actually turn that around and look at it the other way. Why don't we assume that people are doing well? Why are we treating them as guilty until proven innocent? Why do they have to demonstrate to the state that they already know how to drive a car? What I'd like to do is see it flipped on its head, that people would be allowed to drive, but it would only be when we catch them doing something wrong, like driving way beyond the limits of the safe speed, blowing one of the must-stop signs, whatever it is. And at that point, we don't give them a ticket anything like that. Instead, their sentence would be they have a can't-drive license. So you wouldn't have a license. You, would, you have the freedom to travel. We're a free country. They always say it's a free country. You should have that freedom to travel. And it's only the criminals who would take action against them, a can't-drive license. And if we catch you driving, we have a can't-drive license, we toss your, your butt in jail. We touched upon this in episode one right at the end, and I'm sorry we didn't get more time to talk about it, which is one of the reasons why I'm bringing it up now. This is the same sort of thing I do in a debate, debating the other candidates. If it's an easy answer, I'll give a short answer, and I'll go back to another question here. Can't drive license. The can't drive license, that concept can be extended to other things. One of the questions we had in the beginning of the show is about pollution, the environment. Well, if somebody is fracking and their junk is leaking, blowing, whatever, onto other people's property, we can give them a can't frack license. We don't give them a license to frack. We give them the can't frack license. 
And if we catch some fracking again, then we throw their butts in jail, whatever it may be. We applied all sorts of things. Drunks, can't drink license, on and on. I think I'm going to do a whole show on can't licenses because there's too many examples. Because I don't have the time to go through them all right now. So it's going to have to say that this is going to have to about wrap it up for episode two. You can tell I got more to say. I always have more to say. I'm a Toastmaster, right? But if you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at contact at PennsylvaniaProject.com or sign up at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today's, amend- today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited and recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcast at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia and podcast at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our technical producer today is Paul Nicotera with J.T. Schultheis. Webmaster Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Degotis, keyboard wizard, you hear him in the background there, Joe Pag, executive producer Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Until next time. 